everybody. Lovely to see people I haven't seen before here. And it's great to have this opportunity to do a podcast today. So um, I think probably we've only got a couple of um, BMCAN members. Is that right? Just a, I haven't met you, I'm sorry. I, well, I was a financial member about three years ago. Okay. I you my oh, okay. But I thought you'd get in the newspapers. Oh, great. Okay, well, welcome. <laughs> so just a bit of a background. Um, Blue Mountains Creative Arts Network is... We're really uh, organising these events, even though this is under the umbrella of Talking Art Project or Talking Art. Welcome, come on in. You're very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so this, we've, this is our second Talking Art Project event at the Carrington. And um, we decided we needed to go with something a little bit more structured um, to give people the opportunity to hear artists speak, um, to hear about people's practice, um, to hear about what's going on in the arts community in um, the Blue Mountains. So we've taken the initiative uh, to invite two very um, prevalent, prominent people in the arts community to have a conversation today. And we're very privileged to have Sabrina Rosner from the Cultural um, Centre Gallery, the Exhibitions Manager. Thank you, Sabrina, for agreeing to do this. Oh, such thanks for having me. <laughs> And Kelly Halen, who runs Platform Gallery, manager owner mm -hmm. of Platform Gallery in Katoomba Street, Katoomba, which is an amazing space and very innovative. Thank you. Um, so you must go and visit Platform Gallery down the bottom end of uh, Katoomba Street to have a look at Kelly's <coughs> gallery down there. Uh, you also were former um, BMN, BMEE. Yes. Um, what was your role? Creative Industries Cluster Manager. Creative Industries Cluster Manager. So you're very connected into the arts community up here as well. So we've got two really high-level artists, artists and artisans and art thinkers today <laughs> to have conversation. And it's going to be really relaxed because they're friends and they're going to have a conversation <laughs> together. So it's, I think it's going to be a really interesting time in conversation. We're also recording this conversation for a podcast, and thanks to Damien Castaldi, who is going to put this um, podcast together for us, um, Talking Art Podcast. So we're going to tap into Talking Art by listening to the podcast on the website which Brad over there is putting together, and the Blue Mountains Creative Arts Network launch, which is on the 18th of October in um, the Carrington Baroque Room. Baroque Room, which you access by this driveway here now. Um, so Brad is, we're going to be launching the website which Brad has put together um, on that event and we get, it's going to be a really uh, interesting event there's lots of music and poetry slams and it, it should be a great night um, a fun night so that's coming up um, also I'd like to thank the Carrington who are giving us this room free of charge uh, once a month every um, 
first Saturday of every month at four o'clock. Um, and we're just sort of making sure we've got some something for people to nibble on and something for them to drink uh, when they come. So please spread the word. If you know people who are really interested in the arts and the arts communities, please invite them to come along on the first Saturday of every month. Yeah. Um, yeah, please help yourself. There's um, fruit and water and wine. Um, so we're going to be recording for about half an hour. So we're going to ask people uh, not to ask questions or interrupt during that period of the podcast. So we'll know when it starts and we'll know when it finishes. So if you just reserve your questions or uh, comments till after the podcast has finished. Uh, and then by all means... Direct your questions and and ply them and draw it all out after the podcast. Um, So the aim is really to get artists together. So we do, you know, please let people know that this is on. Uh, And I also ask you, in relation to the podcasting, it might be good if people turn their phones off or just put it onto silent so we don't have that going off during the podcast as well. Um, so I think after that, right. uh, we'll hand over to you. Really looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Annie. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Thanks, Sabrina. Very nice to be here with you today. Thanks for joining me on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> We're very colour coordinated on the couch. We are indeed. Yeah. We thought we'd yeah. just blend in. Yes. You can hardly see us. <laughs> yes. Well, before we get into your background, let's start with the, the philosophical question: mm. What is curating? Good question. Um, I think we, these days, you hear the word curator or curated in quite a lot of different um, scenarios. So it's not your classical gallery curator anymore. Like you hear about curated playlists and curated Instagram feeds and curated markets, and um, which basically, in the end, means selecting. So you you going through a selection process, you, you're putting together whether it's music or, or art or events, um, you know, a, a program of, of something. And I think that's, that's good. It's good that we can use it in that, in that very liberal way. But at the same time, I think what we wanted to talk about today is really what is the curator in a gallery context? What do we actually do to mystify um, curating? And, and how do we work as curators? And there are many different ways and people approach it very differently. Um, and I work in the Blue Mountains Culture Centre, so I work for a regional gallery. So when I curate exhibitions, I've got a certain focus and I've got certain uh, guidelines that I work with. Um, Kelly, who has a commercial gallery at Platform, might have a different approach to curating and a different focus. My guidelines are all in my head. Exactly. <laughs> got mine written down. Um, so we thought it might be interesting just to look at, you know, how do we approach curating? Um, what scenarios of curating do you come across? How do you work with artists? Might be interesting for artists who are here also to later on ask questions. You know, how do you work with a curator? Um, and yeah, just just talk about that. And also, I think we're going to talk about, you know, how do you get into curating or how do you mm. end up working for a gallery um, in general because you don't just become a curator. Um, well, you haven't always been a curator. You started in th- your arts journey in theatre, is that right? Why yeah. Could you tell us a bit about that? 
Um, so I, I grew up in Germany, in Hamburg, and I always knew I wanted to work in the arts and in culture, but I didn't necessarily think that visual arts was what I wanted to do. So I started working in the Hamburg Theatre, in the education department, and we had a youth theatre, so we would put on plays for teenagers, and my role was to help students interpret, you know, what they just watched, um, the play they'd just seen. So I would go into schools and we would do maybe little games to, you know, interpret a play, or we would um, have interview sessions with the actors, and that was really interesting um, because I always loved that that interpreting of an artistic product. I thought that was really great because you can have that conversation, you can really dig into it and, and everyone has different ways of seeing things. So I didn't necessarily wanted to work in a theatre after that. I thought, yeah, performance is great, but it wasn't something I felt like I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And um, when I was 20, I met an Australian in Mexico, as you as do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was still studying in, in Hamburg. I was doing a Bachelor of Cultural Arts Management, which is a little bit like a Bachelor of Arts Administration or Cultural Leadership in, in Australia. Um, again, not necessarily focusing on one particular arts form, but just um, management of arts organisations and art events. And we had a long-distance relationship for a year, which was pretty ridiculous by the end, and so I decided to move to Australia. Um, and his mother is a sculptor, and she would exhibit with Sculpture by the Sea almost every year back then, 2008. And so she said, why don't you you know, see if you can work for these guys, um, see how you go, just to get a foot in the door. And sculpture wasn't really something I had ever thought about, it wasn't necessarily um, something I was passionate about, but um, I worked there for three years in the end, three and a half years, and it was such incredible um, time with that organisation because you not only work in like a really large-scale public event, but um, the staff and the artists became like my family here in Australia. And I was really privileged and lucky to meet all of these different artists, Australian, international artists, and get an insight into their practice and um, into their journeys of, you know, from your artwork submission, um, which I was coordinating, um, I was the exhibition coordinator, from that very first idea, that sketch, to that finished artwork that then had to be displayed in an outdoor setting, um, which is quite a challenge. And I also was very lucky to um, meet the then head curator Axel Arnett. He's an incredible, you know, thoughtful and intelligent guy. And he really got me into that. That was my first, in, you know, I guess encounter with a curator and like looking at how do you place work? How do you have that conversation with the artist? How do you play off, in this case, not a white cube gallery space, but a like natural landscape? Um, how do you realise that artist's vision, but also look at the bigger picture of an exhibition? And after working there for three years, I knew that visual arts was my, you know, was my passion. I wanted to stay in that field. Um, I ended up then going to New Zealand and to I worked for um, another sculpture exhibition, Sculpture on the Golf, and um, they had an amazing. Um, I think creative director was her title, Nancy Thompson, who put together a beautiful show and I worked as her curatorial assistant for about three months. 
And what was really interesting about that event was that it was on Waiheke Island, which is tiny. I think they have 800 residents and in summer it's maybe 2,000. Um, so we were working with a really small community, but we were bringing like interstate and international artists in and trying to showcase, you know, big, well-known international sculptors, but also working with the community. Like we were creating a, a work that was put together by the residents of Waiheke and that really gave me the first insight into, yeah, what is it to work with a smaller community, like not like Sydney Sculpture LC big scale, but really try to connect with your local audiences. Um, and then so is that what brought you to the Blue Mountains? Well, I actually kind of ended up in a circle because I I went to Brisbane for a little bit. I worked for the powerhouse as a curator there. But um, Ray Bolton, who I mentioned, um, my ex-partner's uh, mom. She bought a house up here in the Blue Mountains in Bilpin about yeah, seven years ago. And so I always came up here and I loved the Blue Mountains. And then the job was advertised for the exhibition manager in the gallery. It meant to be. And I was like, oh, hold on. This is like regional arts and like working as a curator. And I, I love the Blue Mountains. I've done lots of bushwalks here. And lucky, you know, they offered me the job. And so I kind of came after having lived in Australia for six or eight years by that point, um, I ended up in the mountains. And I've been up here for four and a half years now working at the gallery. Lovely. Yeah. Are you, still, are you still passionate about working with small communities and, and how you can do bring art to... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's actually just growing. I think we're so lucky up here that we, we have quite a connected arts community. Mm-hmm. And... I'm lucky that my role allows me to, I've really met I think a lot of people up here and my role allows me to really think about what do people want to have those conversations with the artists or with community members and it's a regional gallery so it's not me and my program, I'm actually programming for the people in the community mm. and you know there's such an incredible array of artists up here, like all different, you know, whether it's really contemporary or whether it's really traditional or whether it's um, it's sound artists or it's performance artists or it's um, yeah and I think that I've noticed like in the last four years there is a big arts community and there also the gallery is a bit of a, a hub and a place to come to and to celebrate you know the community here so yeah it's been definitely it's been incredible yeah and you've talked about a couple of your mentors along the way mm. has there been anyone in particular that you've learned from being in a regional space and is it different to how you curate in, in big cities? I think to go back to the curator on Waiheke Island, she was definitely very interesting in the way she approached the show, where she looked at, yeah, you cater for that international audience too that would come in, but also work with the local artists. And she would just... I think she would just listen. That was her, her best quality. She would listen to the artists and she would really try to like get that story that they wanted to tell and, and try to work out why it was relevant and why it would actually touch people, you know, as you do. You've got an artwork. A good example was um, this community of Rocky Bay on the island and they used to have an old shed that was like a fruit and veggie shed. And the locals would just like sit there and tell stories and like meet for coffee and it was this real like hub of like exchange of you know of the community and so this artist rebuilt that shed and then invited the locals to sit in front of it during the exhibition and tell their stories mm-hmm. um, 
And so that's just a little example of how she taught me to, to look at community in that context. Mm -hmm. um, I guess at the powerhouse where I worked, um, there was a really amazing curator in the role um, of the, before I started. And she, um, because they've got quite a broad audience, she would um, try to bring in like a lot of international shows because a lot of tourists would go. So she would always go, well, so, you know, we've got a whole lot of Chinese tourists or we've got this kind of demographic and how do we cater for them and how do we make sure we keep the program diverse enough to for them to come in and there's, there's always needs to be something that, you know, caters for a range of people. So, yeah, not that answers your question, but that's... Yeah, so it sounds like there's been a lot of influential figures along the way. So yeah. it's not just learning at uni and then no. learning on the job, it's the people that you work with that exactly. make you... The curator that you are yeah and the artists I think mm. that's they're probably my biggest teachers because it's it's amazing to I think to be able to access an artist's mind to have that um, <laughs> that privilege that you can have those conversations that there are people that see the world in very different beautiful ways and I think if you're a little bit open to that and just listen you learn so much along the way I don't think that any textbook can can tell you that mm. that much about yeah. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Just gonna look at my notes here now. <laughs> so what about? So you've talked about working with artists and drawing out their stories and what's important to them, and also listening to the communities. Mm. What about you as a curator in a regional gallery? Do you have your own focus? Is there something that you're bringing, or, or is it more about what other people are bringing? Um, it's a bit of a mix. I think what I have to make sure um, as a public gallery is that, like I said before, I do have to cater for a really broad audience. So we do about 20 shows each year and I need to be really mindful that I actually don't focus too much on one particular category, that I have shows that are maybe really challenging, maybe really out there, really cutting edge, but at the same time, also have an exhibition that's more um, traditional a, traditional, or maybe even just a little bit more you know easier to engage with um, that there are shows that are really educational like a historical exhibition um, and at the same time you try to be tapped into what's happening in the world I think we have to be relevant so I'm always trying to be mindful about what's happening in Australia what's happening in the world and who are the people out there that are telling the different stories that move us you know so in that sense I guess my focus is actually to be you know open to all of those um, those different voices for me personally I've really tried to make sure I have a lot of uh, female artists in the gallery or at least have a, a balanced program um, I think it's still the case in the arts world like in any other industry that we have to be mindful um, and we I'm lucky there are a lot of amazing female artists up here. So last year I think I had about six solo shows of um, women. Wonderful. Which was incredible. Mm -hmm. So just that's just something I'm really aware of mm. um, when I do my programming that I keep that you know, balance. Excellent. Mm. And what about with the storytelling aspect of curating? How does, how does that work? Well, I guess there are a couple of different ways that I look at it. So if an artist, for example, um, approaches me and wants to do an exhibition, um, 
it's it's not necessarily just about showing <coughs> their work. It's about well, how is that engaging to audiences? How what kind of story do you want to tell? And that can be in a conversation with the artist. And I'm trying to kind of draw out that storyline. Maybe it could be even you know just their journey as an artist, um, or it could be a particular topic that they're looking at. And I'm trying to really take a step back and imagine like I'm the audience, I walk into this exhibition, like how do I perceive it from the start to the end? And that's also like physically, you can actually create a space in that sense. You start off with your introduction, you move through the exhibition, it's really important how you display the works, um, and you, you come to the conclusion, like when you write a story or you know when you've got a play. Um, there's some exhibitions that are much more um, storytelling, like the one we've got in the gallery now, the Blue Mountains Botanica, where it's actually historical, a timeline that we follow, all the different themes that you explore. And depending on what the exhibition is, the interpretive text that you have, so whether it's artwork labels, or whether it could be an audio tour, or however you want to um, interpret the the work that's really important and it's not that obvious like it's not necessarily the first thing you see but I actually spend a lot of time on you know writing an introduction or writing an essay for a catalogue or uh, working with an artist on the artwork labels to make sure that it's consistent it's um, it's it's easy to understand um, you know some people have different opinions about whether you interpret a work or not I do I, I think that you need to make them accessible. Um, so by that you mean you're helping the audience interpret? Yeah, understand what the artist is mm -hmm. trying to say. And you, it's, it's a fine line, like you don't want to spell it all out for them. You, you want to leave room for interpretation of their own, but at the same time, let's say I've got a really contemporary show and someone walks in that's not really used to that type of work. If, if there's no information at all, very often they just go, well, I can't really, I, there's no way in. You know, I need at least a little bit to guide me into the thinking of the artist or, and that's my role, is to kind of bridge that artist audience. And how, yeah. so you've got the, the panel, interpretive panels, you've got audio tours, and how does, how does that manifest? So that's your role, so you're writing this text mm. based on the conversations that you've had with the artist yeah. and also your own interpretation of the artworks? Yeah, sometimes it's my own interpretation. Sometimes I ask guest writers to write about the work if I know that there's someone out there who knows that particular artist really well. Um, I ask them to come in and say, well, here's a show that we've put together and now I would like to have your opinion on that. In fact, I asked Kelly to write for uh, Kavina's mm -hmm. show. Um, so it's really nice to bring in a different voice too. And it just depends on the situation. Sometimes the artists want me to write about them. Sometimes... We agree on someone to help. Sometimes you get someone to write an essay that's not even about the show, but like puts <laughs> puts it in, you know, I don't know, academic context. So they're very different ways of doing it. And that's always a case-by-case -case scenario, depending how. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about, um, well, firstly, your role in the theatre, about that educational mm. role. And now here in the Cultural Centre, um, having artist talks. Mm. How important is that for helping audiences engage with the work? Well, I, I think it's really important. Um, I may have to put that question back to the audience later on. But in the end, I think the, the artist is the one person that knows 
the most about the work. And even when, you know, the curator works with them on an exhibition, there's still things that we might miss, you know, or things that actually very often I find, like once the exhibition is installed, you do notice new things or you suddenly there's some beautiful, you know, relationships between the works you've never thought about. And I think the artist talks, which we often do after the opening, they do help, you know, to get like another level of understanding of the works. And I think the artists also, they just have interesting stories and they, they talk about how the work is developed. And so I, I think they're really important. And it's a nice, it's really casual in the culture centre. We don't do, well, we do symposiums too, but we try to keep that really casual so that you can ask questions and, you know, have a, a nice chat like, like we do now. Yeah, mm. okay. Um, so the current exhibition, Blue Mountains Botanica, that had quite an extensive curatorial process. Yes. Can we talk about how that came about? Yeah, so that's actually been two years in the making, that exhibition. It came about, one of my friends works at the Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens, and I've always wanted to do a show that looks at, obviously, the Blue Mountains and botanical um, history that we've got up here. And she said, why don't we collaborate? Why don't you have a look at our collection? They've got an amazing collection. Um, the library, the Daniel Solander Library, the herbarium, um, their collection of um, illustrations. And so I got introduced to the librarian, uh, Miguel Garcia. And really the first meeting, I was like, well, look, you, you've got a... I don't know, you, you tell me like, what's growing up here. I'm not a botanist. I don't, you know, I, I don't know the, the history of botanical exploration and it was quite interesting because I guess the gardens come from a very scientific approach and they're a lot of the staff are scientists so they can talk forever about that particular tiny plant and why it's relevant historically or scientifically and um, and I'm coming from that gallery perspective I'm like well but I want to make that that needs to be a visual experience like how can we bring the two together and it ended up actually because we were like well what species is important and who was up here and it was just became like this big almost too big to tackle exercise and we got back we, we saw a painting and I can't remember the title now but it basically was a beautiful vase of flowers that were the key the most iconic blue mountains plants the flannel flowers and the mountain devil and and so we thought, okay, we'll start from there. And so I said, well, what kind of specimens do you have in your collection that we can see on that picture? And they're historical specimens. They were the first specimens collected up here in the mountains. And so they, they gave me a list of those. And I was like, well, that's a good start. And then I did my research on the people that came up here. And I'm talking past um, colonization, so very mindful about that a lot of the knowledge has existed previously by the traditional owners um so we we're working with like the different personalities and you know people like darwin came up here henry dean joseph maiden the director of the botanic gardens and so i had my botanists and i had my specimens and then i thought well now i need the visual i need something to the gallery i need some artwork um and the gardens had this beautiful illustrator, Margaret Flockton, who was the first officially, I guess, um, employed illustrator. So we worked out, okay, what illustrations 
to match the specimens. And so it became like this little, you know, trying, it's like a puzzle, you're trying to piece it all together and, you know, in the end I was like, okay, well I've got my specimens, I've got my illustrations, I've got my botanists, and then I, like I said before, I was quite aware that there's so much knowledge that existed previously, there's a lot of really important knowledge about caring for country that's being done by the community, and so I had to make sure that was also really prominent in the exhibition because I, I didn't feel like it could just be a white colonial, um, you know, we came and discovered these species because that's just not um, how it went. And then I thought, well, we also need to look at today in the contemporary artistic practice um, that's happening up here. And there's so many people that are being inspired by the beautiful landscape and the flora and fauna. So I then selected um, nine artists who I asked to then engage with, you know, the content I had gathered so far and then to interpret that. And so, yeah, after two years, um, that's what we ended up with, with that show. Well done. Mm -hmm. Amazing. That was fun. Because if, if you, for me, the, the most interesting thing is to actually learn something new as well. And I just, um, yeah, the whole, you know, science and botany and it was just incredible to learn that side of things too. So, yeah. And those nine artists, mm -hmm. were they local or from elsewhere in Australia? They are, with the exception of one, mm -hmm. they're all local artists. I hadn't really set, I didn't necessarily say you need to be local, but because there are so many people up here who work in such different um, media, it was so easy. Like, I, yeah. you know, <laughs> it didn't take me long to go, well, no, they, like, they need to be local because there are just so many good artists up here mm -hmm. to choose from. There yeah. are indeed. Yeah. And what do you think of the local scene right now? I mean, what do you see as the, I guess, the challenges and the opportunities for artists <laughs> and the creative industries in the Blue Mountains? Um, I guess, and I can only speak from, you know, the, the gallery side of things. It's probably different perspectives of an artist. But what I come across quite a bit when I network with um, other galleries or when I go to... Um, other industry events, I find that the perception of the Blue Mountains is still, for some, not, not everyone, but there's still some misconceptions about what's happening up here. Um, there's not really an understanding of what an incredible, you know, artistic community we have. Um, and we're also in this weird spot where we're not Western Sydney. Well, we are categorised as Western Sydney by the government. Um, but we're not necessarily what they see as Western Sydney, so um, really culturally diverse and um, in that, but we're also not regional from their point of view, which is not true. Like we're literally at the gateway to regional New South Wales. And so it's always been for us from a funding point of view or when I talk about what we do up here, it's always been this juggle, like where do we fit in? And my point of view is, well, we don't have to fit in. We're actually really unique. Like that's also our strength as a community is that we we have people that work regionally and live regionally, like in Candles, like Damien, for example. Or we've got people that that work down in Sydney but live up here. And so we've got actually this beautiful diversity of people and, and artistic practice. So um, but I do believe that we still, you know, it's a slow process. We have to promote that and make sure that people understand um, yeah, that is incredibly vibrant and unique artistic community up here yeah mm. and what's exciting you at the moment about whether it's artists or arts up here at blue mountains 
I think in the last, and I've been here four and a half years, so that's been the time that I've been able to observe the community, but there have been a lot of great initiatives that have been put in place um, that I really have, have put like this foundation for a lot of artists and creatives. So we have Mountains Made, Blue Mountains Artist Network, you know, which is going through different redevelopment. Um, the gallery was built. Um, on Katoomba Street, you've got that creative hub with all of the galleries down there. So the infrastructure is here and now it's, you know, there's a real momentum. Like you can see that things are happening and there, there are different events that are happening. So I've just seen the community go from strength to strength and I hope that that will continue to grow and people take the opportunities and, and make the most of yeah, the infrastructure that we have here. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs>